Welcome everyone to Rockham Nation Podcast. Finally, a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. Deep, 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 deep into the season. We are on season six. Uh, this is technically going to be episode nine. So we actually recorded uh, episode seven, part one, and episode seven, part two, because the way the podcast uh, service, I guess, works. Um, episode seven, part two with, with Blake last week was... Still, I guess, uh, episode eight. So we didn't really have a choice in the matter there. So we are on episode nine, uh, here to talk all about your Missouri Tigers in their basketball program. I am your host, Sam Snelling. With me, as always, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm about as tired as the, the players are from eight game, from four games in eight days. But we're going to power through. With, with all the the spreadsheets and clipping, uh, because I'm anal retentive like that. <laughs> well, so uh, yeah, so we we recorded a, a two parter sort of SEC season preview. Talked about a lot of teams, um, and because we had recorded two podcasts, I'm like, well, let's let's take the like the the next week off since there are so many games. Uh, we're recording this Monday, November 14th. Uh, we have watched uh, Missouri play basketball three times. Uh, we saw them uh, defeat in the opener uh, Southern Indiana, despite Southern Indiana's uh, plethora of three-point shots. Uh, we then saw them defeat uh, Penn. They overcame Penn, who also hit a plethora of three-point shots. Uh, and then we saw them basically just crush Lindenwood in the last ten minutes of the uh, of the second half of the game as Lindenwood went absolutely ice cold. Uh, final score there was eighty two fifty three. Um, the first time that M- Mizzou's offense was held under ninety points, um, their least efficient basketball game. But uh, they also didn't have an opponent like shooting fifty percent from three point range, so that helps. Um, it was just one of those things where, uh, like as you're sort of watching, especially for me, I think more Southern Indiana than Penn, I I felt like Missouri had more control of the Penn game. Um, that Southern Indiana game was a blowout. And then all of a sudden, like they're just hitting everything they were throwing up the rim. Uh, and yeah, like got a little nervous there for a little bit matt um as we sort of made our way through through three games three wins uh lots of offense um you have any initial takeaways that you want to get into they play really fast um which you know after three years of hearing a staff profess we're gonna play fast we're gonna play up tempo and then not doing so it's just been it's been jarring, you know, just not in a bad way, but just it's just a reminder of how you get accustomed to a style of basketball over a period of time. And then, you know, the first night, you know, I think they came out and you know, I think they had something like 30, you know, secondary breaks and fast breaks and defense to offense situations. And it's kind of kept up at that same pace. You know, they'll play the first five minutes. I think they, it almost looks like they script the first, you know, four or five possessions. And then it's like, all right, guys, just go. And they 
they go. And, you know, sometimes, you know, the byproduct looks a little bit haggard. Sometimes it's not always the best shot selection, but, you know, I think we talked about this, you know, just earlier today as we prepped was it's nice to see, I think, a commitment to assertiveness and to see a team that says, we're going to play fast. We're going to, you know, look to attack early. We're going to put the pressure on you and the onus on you to stop us. And we'll we'll talk about, you know, what that brings with it. But I think it's just, I won't want to say it's refreshing. I don't want to say anything's better or worse. It's different, but it's sort of, you know, just sort of a reminder of, oh, this is what it looks like when you really do embrace pace. And you embrace sort of, I think, you know, just more broadly kind of a modern approach to, to playing offense. So it's it's been just sort of, I guess, you know, just an adaptation process the first week to just, you know, broadly how this team wants to play as a group. Yeah, and I think like, I think we, we I expected them to to play pretty fast and to sort of you know come out of the gates with a little bit of gusto um interestingly enough um i mean it certainly looks like lindenwood is is going to have a, a hard time adjusting i don't think southern indiana is going to have a very hard time adjusting to division one basketball they're a really good d2 program um, they were they were really really good last year and they've been good over the past couple of years so yeah i think they'll be able to and the ovc is what usually i gotta i'd have to look at what they were Last Southern Indiana was where Pearl was, right? Yeah. Um, USI is uh, in Evansville uh, on the opposite side of town as, as UE and um, had been known as a really, really good D3, then D2 program. Um, Pearl has been there. I can't remember if there's another coach that had been down there, but it's it's really well respected as a D2 here. Um, really gets a lot of good in-state talent that's kind of gone there. And they built a new arena and they're scaling it up. And in, it, I this is really wonky, but... It's going to be interesting to see what happens there because UE is in town. Uh, University of Evansville is in town, really falling on hard times there, you know, ranked lower now than USI, which is making the jump. And then just blow for blow with the uh, the Billikens went, the other night. Went toe to toe with uh, <laughs> Travis's crew for about 30 minutes the other night. And then to the south is Murray State. And. You know, and then just to the west a little bit is SIU uh, over in Carbondale. So just a really, really interesting area. A lot of kind of solid mid-major programs they are breaking in there. Kind of that, you know, blur between the OVC and, and the MVC, which has lost some teams. So it's it's a really interesting dynamic down there. I'm sure Missouri fans care deeply about this, but you and I as basketball <laughs> nerds, it's just really interesting to watch them make that transition. I think that they're going to be better positioned than than Lindenwood because Lindenwood has as an athletic department has moved really quickly from the NIA level up. They've really and they weren't even good in in Division Two. No, like, no, they weren't. And now, granted, I mean there there's a lot of different reasons why you decide to to you know change levels and you know men's basketball is not always at the top of the list. Um, but yeah, like they were they were not good. And I want to say it was like the Great Lakes. Yeah, they were great. They Great were, Lakes Valley they aren't, Conference. They aren't Umsel, and Umsel's been pretty good in in at that level. So, and not even Wash U, which is a really good D three uh, program. Umsel's got a uh, Bob Sunvold down there, so yeah, still uh, still a Sunvold. I, and I can say down there because it's literally down the road. <laughs> so now we've taken listeners way too deep into the levels of D two and D three. <laughs> USI's is beat Southern Illinois too. That was going to be the other thing I was going to get to. They 
they beat SIU pretty handily over the they weekend. They did just like beat it. They won by eighteen yeah, points. Yeah, they they, they like, put a beat. They put a whooping on on them, and SIU had won at Oklahoma State. So I think that win, if if S if USI has scaled up appropriately, that win may mature a little bit better than I think the Lindenwood one one will. And the Penn game, uh, Penn didn't play defense last year, and it does not appear they are committed to playing defense this year either. So Mm-mm. it they can score though. They've got some guys who can score. They, they, they run some fun stuff there. They they uh they are uh, equipped on offense. Uh, they. You know, they finally got some jump shooting, which they'd been searching for for a long time. So, again, you know, I, I think the hard part here is Lindenwood is bad defensively, will be bad defensively. Penn has not shown any signs of improvement defensively. And even if USI is better than we expect, they're not going to probably be a top half of the, you know, better than median defense this year. So, it's fun to watch the offense. It's been fun to get impressions of them how durable this efficiency is um is is going to be questionable i think as you know eventually as we start getting more kimpom dating i think they might just slip because the quality opponents are, are going to take a hit but just anecdotally it's been fun to watch them play and, and fun to watch them fun to get an early impression of them but i was i'll flip it and say you know what's been your impression of this group you know over the first 120 minutes of basketball in the dennis gates era well, it's it's. I know that you uh, you do a lot of rewatches, um, you know, because you and and Watkins kind of have the film room, and you want to make sure you're kind of getting everything. Um, it's it's always been pretty rare that I will rewatch a game, um, but I've watched I've not entire games, but I did rewatch most of Penn, and rewatch uh, most of the Lindenwood game, um. Mostly because, like, you know, sometimes when I'm running, you know, the the Twitter account for the game, like, you you don't watch as as intently as maybe you would otherwise, and like, you know, seeing kind of what they're trying to do offensively and what they're trying to do def- defensively, and you know why the other team is maybe shooting fifty percent from from deep on them, and and seeing if they're like, you know, what kind of breakdowns defensively they they have. Um, you know, like I, I will say, like very clearly, any um, any initial impressions that I think we thought we would have, I think so far, like have been kind of unsurprising. You know, I think we expected them to be good offensively. Um, I thought that, and I I would I thought I think we collectively had discussed this enough that we thought they would probably struggle a little bit defensively, uh, and it certainly looks like that's going to be the case that, you know, they, none of the issues that we sort of pointed out in, in, in previewing the, the season are going to be solved this year. Like there's just, there's just no way that you can account for not having rim protection. Um, and the downstream consequences of that, which I think, you know, have probably been the most apparent, but we can get to that in a little bit, but it's not just rim protection from point blank range. It's there's other things that it's doing systematically. To, to this group yeah yeah i mean it's 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 forcing guys to approach their their defense and their rotations and a lot of that stuff in, in different ways uh you know noah carter is six five six six and and while he's you know he's he's got a solid body uh and he can wall up against 
uh, you know, USI and Penn and Lindenwood and kind of get away with that. Like that's just, that's not going to work against, against the SEC. And, and so like that, that's always going to be a, an issue for this team. And as long as fans are like prepared, I like my overall impression is that like, if you have the correct expectations going into the season on what this team is and what they can be, you're going to really enjoy them because they're a fun team. Like they, they play hard, they play fast. Uh, they're not afraid to shoot the ball offensively when shots are going down. They're a whole lot of fun. Uh, and like they, they take care of the ball. And I think like one of the things that's a very easy turnoff for fans is, is like sloppy basketball. Um, when, when teams just struggle with like, you know, the, the simple things, initiating uh, offense, <laughs> initiating offense, dribbling the basketball, passing the basketball. Uh, and this team seems all, you know, right now anyways, you know, very capable of doing all those things. I've, I think the defensively, we, we've got to have a discussion about what people expect from Mama Diara, because I think that keeps being to me the thing that people misunderstand may make it sound condescending, but I think people have overestimated the availability and the viability of him in year one. Um, like I wrote in his preview, it's not common for even really good Juco bigs to come in and walk in and start. It's just, it's really rare. And so if you're expecting him to walk in and plug in and play frontline minutes, you're already expecting an outlier, you know, right there. And that's just going to lead to disappointment. I think the thing is, if you, you know, when we talk to scouts or when you watch him play, and I've talked to some people who kind of have, know gotten a sense for what his job is in year one there it's going to be getting used to playing at this level getting used to moving at this level and like you saw it even against lindenwood there's a deer in headlights look when he's got a slip into drop coverage against lindenwood like or even like try and move you know from the post and kind of maneuver around not that he can't do it it's just that he's never been asked to play the five he's always been playing in space as a perimeter guy and it's just the job he's being asked to do is very different. The speed at which it's happening is very different. And, you know, I I just think there's going to be some patience required there. But even then, he's going to be a guy who you hope you can get to 14 or 15 minutes a night, who you hope you can put out in some bigger lineups when you need to. And But you're really, like you said, you're going to be relying on Kobe. You're going to be relying on Noah Carter. You're going to be relying on Aiden Shaw you know, to come over and provide some help for you. It's it's not going to be, you know, by, you know, next month, Modiar is going to be ready to go give you 28 minutes a game against Kansas. That's just not going to happen. And, you know, I think the one thing that that's contributed to is, you know, what we've seen defensively, which is a lot of selling out and overhelping to the middle of the floor where it's very clear there, you know, the thing is, you might wind up two passes away, but you got to get to the paint and provide some help or at least get in the way. And it's produced, you know, a lot of open jumpers. I think until the Lindenwood game, Missouri was giving up 16 or 17 unguarded catch and shoots a game. So I think what you're seeing right now is the consequence, at least defensively of a team that's undersized and trying to figure out how it can send a lot of bodies to the paint. 
and still, you know, close out and still function. So what we've loved about them offensively is clear, but defensively, you know, how, you know, the lack of a big has manifested itself in a way that I don't think some people really would have expected, which is because Missouri is selling out to the middle of the floor, they're having to really give up a lot of jumpers to do it. So it's, it's fascinating. You know, you always think about that theoretically, but when you see those trade-offs in real time, it's sort of like, okay, now, now I see what's happening here. And now I sort of understand, you know, what, what the situation is going to be moving forward. So that's sort of the other, I guess, you know, a little bit more downtrodden impression I have is there's going to be some consequences for the team's lack of size here. And it's better for us just to, you know, outline them now and just embrace it, that that's going to be the case and that there's not a solution just parked on the bench that Dennis Gates isn't throwing out there. Because if there was a solution, I'm yeah. pretty sure we he, he would grab it and not think twice. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's a very real clear reason why they were, you know, doggedly pursuing Jamari and Sharp as, you know, they completely understood what they had in the middle or what maybe what they didn't have as a, a more apt description. Um, you know, just the uh, missing, missing body. And I, I think that while I think there's a lot to like about the roster, there's certainly like, that is a, a, a big giant missing gap uh, on the roster where, um, and, you know, and I think maybe I was uh, not quite fully in the optimistic, like Diara is going to start and average 20 and 10, uh, you know, type of, uh, I don't really think anybody was thinking that, but um, I sort of, I thought he would be in the top eight and maybe that's by the end of the year, he might still be. Um, but I thought he would be in the top eight mostly out of necessity. But after watching these three games, I understand why he's not. <laughs> um, I don't know exactly like where he falls in like the, the minutes. Uh, he's got 5.8% minutes, but um, yeah, like Caleb Brown's at 19.2. Uh, Isaiah Mosley's at 25. Everybody else. Uh, 40, 48, 57, 67, 59, 61, 65, 45. Um, yeah, so Diara is definitely uh, behind there. Um, it, it, it is going to be a problem all season. And, and again, like I'll go back to my earlier point. As long as you are prepared for Missouri having some defensive issues because of their lack of uh, an anchor in the middle, uh, then I think you're really gonna have fun watching this team. Yeah. Um, because they have ball handling, Sam. They have, again, against bad defenses. I'm sure the turnover numbers will go up as soon as they face <laughs> stingier groups. But initial impressions, they have guys that can do more than just dribble the ball into the front court. They've they've got guys who can do what you expect from a point guard. Which never thought I'd see the day, and I'm thrilled that it's here. <laughs> uh yeah so nick honor um he's a guy that i think a lot of a lot of people um understand not, I, this is this isn't yeah and this isn't even like addressing um you know mizzou fans this is like a national um like this is a, a, a media thing like i really don't think enough people 
like bought into why Nick Honor was one of the better additions this past off season. Um, just a really, really capable ball handler. Uh, a guy who, I mean, he's seven of 18 from three, which is about 39%. Um, if he shoots that for the, for the season, fantastic. That's great. Um, I'm looking at his turnover. Yeah. That TO percentage, uh, baby. <laughs> like, like 10.3%. That's beautiful. Uh, so it's, it's so pretty. You know, and, and like, really like, uh, Mizzou had like no turnover issues until, um, until the Lindenwood game when, when both, uh, Mosley and Sean East, um, combined for seven turnovers, uh, of a team, I think what they have 16, something like that. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, like Mizzou's turnover rate, like they were just, you know, blowing the their opponent out of the water with their BCI, which is something that has not happened in a while, Matt. Like it's been a while; it's been a minute. I'm not used to them winning we, the turnover battle, the BCI battle, three to one. Like just a yeah, it, it, utter even, domination. Even like in in like even in like Conzo's good years, you're still like you're pretty much saying, all right, their shooting has to be good enough to sort of overcome the fact that they're just going to turn the ball over. Um. Yeah. The, yeah. Like that's been that's been really nice. And the thing about it is, it's not even like the turnover rate again is nineteen. The assist rate's nineteen point one percent. It's not like he's out here throwing dimes everywhere, but he's getting Missouri into good offense, into good sets. Where and this is the thing, you know, Trey Gamillion is a guy who with an eight point two percent turnover rate. Noah Carter six point four. You know, even Kobe Brown is respectable at 15.9. Demoy Hodge, 11.1. They're good passers. And I think that's the thing that, you know, you watch this team. They can beat you with the pass. And they can beat you with ball movement and people and, you know, spacing and bot and player movement. You don't need a guy, you know, we'll have some film on him later this week of him working in you know, some slot pick and rolls. But the thing about that is, you know, he's able to diagnose when to attack, when to move the ball. He's not breaking guys down with, you know, triple combinations, but he's just really good at understanding when to probe, when to move the ball, when to set guys up. He understands I, he understands how to use screens, which I I think last year I had to s- stop watching because guys were like turning like they were a, you know, an 18 wheeler around the screen and late leaving just all kinds of space. He understands how to turn into screens. He knows how to, you know, back out and have his guy reset and reangle on a screen. There's just stuff that you watch him do that you go, that's a, that's a veteran ball handler. That's a guy who knows what he's supposed to do. And it's just reassuring there. And even, you know, Sean East, you know, is a guy whose decision-making that I wish was a little better, but he's, you know, a guy who's going at high speed. So I think that there's some explanation for that, but honor's just so steady. He just makes such good decisions, keeps the offense in time. It's, it's, it's really, really important. And, it's probably the thing that, that I've enjoyed watching most is watching a guy who's just giving you confident, steady guard play out front. It's, it's, it's been a, like, if I, if I don't sound, if do I seem happy that they have this now, Sam, because I'm very, <laughs> very, very pleased with this, with this development, please let it well, hold on. Yeah. It, and I, I, I'm trying to remember like when maybe it was the, when I was on with, uh, you know, uh, Brandon Weesey and 550 KTRS 
talking like preseason and you know, and People so were much of the about focus. Sean East. Well, yeah, like so much of the focus of the season has been on Sean East because I mean, with with you know respect to Sean, like he was a, an incredible player at the JUCO level last year. He put up a lot of points. He uh, he drove a lot of the uh, the offense at at one of the better junior colleges in the country. Um, and so there was a lot of focus, like oh, like that, like this guy is a guy who's going to come in and and solve Missouri's point guard problem. And I was just like, well, no, it's going to be Nick Honor. <laughs> like, like you, you could just go back. Like there's there's no way that you can uh, account for the level of competition uh, and going from junior college to the SEC. And you know, again, with respect to Sean East, to um, you know, I think is still kind of getting his bearings, and I think he can be a very good serviceable player and all that kind of stuff. Like, like there's a difference between a a guy who went to UMass, went to uh, Bradley, and went to JUCO, uh, and was playing in those levels, and and Nick Honor, who went from what was he at Fordham? Yeah, Fordham before Clemson, but spent the last three years playing at Clemson. Um, one was a red shirt year before everybody had the free for all on the, the transfer. Um, but, but two full years playing the ACC and, and doing that with such a low turnover rate consistently, not turning the ball over consistently, like being a consistent presence offensively, shooting the ball. Well, uh, I just like, it was a no brainer for me that he was going to be the guy that was going to come in and, and be the starting point guard. Uh, it's very possible that at some point this season that Sean East is starting. Uh, but if he's starting, like he's starting with Nick honor and Nick honor is the one and Sean East is the two, like that's, that's the way it's going to go. Like Nick honor, as long as he's healthy is your starting point guard. Yeah. The one thing that has been surprising to me is how, and I shared this yesterday it's just how quickly the on-ramp has been there for Aiden Shaw. Um, yeah. yeah. I thought we'd get to the PT that he's seeing right now. I just thought it might be a little bit of a lower dosage early on, but he's already at around 15, 16 minutes a game. You know, I'm looking at his um, numbers right now. He said 40% minutes, which is about typical for a freshman, you know, wing that had his recruiting rating. His, you know, usage and his possessions are are lower um, than you might expect, but you know, he's not a guy who is going to be ball dominant. He's a cutter, you know, a guy who runs the floor in transition. So it makes sense. Um, a guy who already has an 18.4 defensive rebound rating rebound percentage, which is really, really good for an undersized team when he's on the floor gets on the glass. Um, some issues sometimes defensively from being overzealous, sometimes a little bit lost in rotation stuff like that, but that happens at the freshman, but the guy makes things happen. Um, Looking here in front of see what his block rate is. 2.8% block rate, which is not bad, considering that he kind of moves around and floats a little bit. 7 of 9 <laughs> shooting at the rim. So he uh, he's doing well there. Just I think that's the one thing I was sort of thinking was, okay, they're going to try and ease him in. They're going to maybe, you know, maybe they'll try Ryan to grade a little bit at the 4, but nope, they've gone right into Shaw, getting 16 minutes a night and, you know, trusting him on the glass, you know, and let, letting him, I think, more than anything, letting him live through some growing pains defensively. I think that that's, if if anyone couldn't tell over the last five years, I thought, you know, the last half had a little bit too quick of a hook with guys defensively. 
Um, but Aiden gets to play through some issues and some mistakes. And, you know, I, I think he's that's going to really, really help him as the season moves forward. I think it's really going to speed up the learning curve for him. So a little bit surprised at how much he's played early on, but in a good way. Um, but there's probably another name that folks are probably uh, also surprised about and not so much in a positive way, Samuel. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, I'm guessing you want to talk about Isaiah Mosley. Yeah, I'll let you have the floor on that topic to start with. Well, um, yeah. I mean, I like part of it's like I don't really know what to completely say about it because we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know, uh, like, you know, what the conversations with the staff is, what, like, he, he was told beforehand, what things have been going on and, you know, practice and off the court and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, as to, as to why he didn't play against Penn, like, I, d- I don't know. Um, Dennis Gates didn't put him in the game. It looked like he was available. Uh, he did not play. Um, and it it is a little confusing because, as I've said many times in study hall, like I just I watch somebody like DeAndre Golston and I I see how he's useful. Like I don't think he's a bad basketball player. Um, but right now he's he's like he's at twenty four point three percent usage for this team, which. Uh, I mean, we, we, we tried that with, with Golston last year at Milwaukee. It ended with a 90 work out. Well, it went in with a 92, 92.60 rating. And, and he's at 95 right now. Yeah. It's it. He's gotten better, Matt. Um, no, but like 95 offensive rating is, is not good. And you, it's like I think we've kind of said this in private. I don't know if any any one of us has sort of put it out in public, but you have to imagine at some point, like that's where, uh, like you know, Gates and the staff imagined possessions are going to go to Mosley because Mosley is a proven offensive commodity. Um, yeah. For now, though, it's not happening. Now, why is it not happening? Maybe I don't know. Maybe Mosley doesn't guard. Maybe uh, he hasn't been, you know, playing hard in practice. I like again. We're we're not there. We don't know what's going on. But there's something that that those, uh, you know, the staff and Mosley sort of need to get on the same page to make sure that because he's the guy that is going to be able to raise the ceiling on this yeah. team. Um, if if Mosley is a guy coming right now, uh, getting you know twenty five percent of the minutes, then it's going to like, I they're just not gonna win as many games in league play as if he's a guy that's you know getting sixty percent of the minutes or sixty five seventy percent of the minutes. Like I, I don't think he needs to be an eighty five ninety percent of the minutes guy, but he needs to be playing and he needs shots. Uh, and even 
in the game against Lindenwood, like he was very clearly passing up shots. And some of those were a little surprising, but you know, it's also maybe to the point where like they're, they're trying to make sure he understands the offensive flow and, and how the offensive works. And then he can start getting his shots once he sort of understands the entire thing. I don't know. And it's just one of those things like, I think we all expected more. Uh, we haven't gotten it, but it's also, it's three games in. Yeah. It's a new roster. Uh, we'll see how it goes. It felt like. Hopefully he's ready by KU game, because I feel like that's a game, that's a game where Isaiah Mosley will be ready to uh, to shoot the ball. Yeah. Uh, he knows someone on, on the other, on the other bench, and he'll be eager uh, to uh, put forth his case for why um he's an outstanding player nationally the it felt- well and not just not just the fact that like he, you know he's good buddies with Dewan Harris but like i think it's very clear that bill self uh wanted kevin uh, McCullough. yeah um and not not mosley so you know self went after McCullough and and took McCullough for for a spot that i think a lot of people thought you know Isaiah Mosley would be a good fit for um and that's one of the reasons why you know it came down to like Mississippi State and Missouri, because uh, I think a lot of people thought that Mosey really wanted to to go to KU and and play with his his childhood buddy. I thought last night was it felt like a message being conveyed. Whether it, you know, I don't know what you know tone. You know, is it here? La- last night being the uh, uh, Lindenwood at game. the Lindenwood game. You know the first five or six touches that he got in what you would consider to be advantageous spots on the floor and within the offense were passes. And there were two or three where there was one that was kind of a slip and roll with, uh, I think Noah Carter where Noah's diving to post, like not even like putting a hand up, like his backs and he's diving to post up and mostly those jump pass and it's out of bounds. There's another one where, but the defender had gone under the screen. He had all kinds of room. He could have, you know, pulled up a shot of jumper. There was another one later on in the second half where defender again trails a little bit. And then, you know, there's a cutter, you know, Aiden's trying to go back door, but there's clearly a help defender sitting on the midline. And he tries to throw a bounce pass and thread it. And it gets picked off when he could have turned the corner and gone to a one dribble pull up, which he usually is pretty good at getting to out of that action. So it was like you said, there were just some moments last night where I thought, okay, the, the read here is even that you should look to hunt for the shot. You know, and you no, know, there was a, def- a clear conscious effort to to pass. There were a couple though that I thought he made that were I think really really good. The lasso pass in transition where he gets deep and finds Nick Honor was really really good. You know, the lob in transition was a good one on point. You know, I thought he made some good passes, but he had I think four or five turnovers. I think a couple of them were him just hunting the pass instead of hunting a shot that was there for him. So. I guess that's my thing is I get why Gates would want him to sort of settle into the broader culture of the offense, you know, of moving the ball. You know, Missouri gets a lot of side to side action. You know, they have really good screeners, really good rollers. They've got guys that connect pieces really well. And you don't want Mosley to be a ball stopper, but there's some situations, especially if they are running some continuity ball screen stuff where you have an opening and you can go get your bucket, go and you can get to your spot, go get it. And I think that that's, Sort of the thing here is was Mosley trying to demonstrate, look, I'm I'm willing to give the ball up. Is that what's going to take for him to have some trust reciprocated to where, okay, maybe Dennis lives with 
you know, him shot hunting a little bit instead of moving the ball. It, so that's just what fascinated me is just watching kind of the decision-making process and maybe what was trying to be conveyed or what sort of the direction was there. Because when we talk about fitting into the offense, I don't think it necessarily means scheme. I think it's much more of the mentality of, you know, is Dennis going to, you know, make some room and some concessions for Mosley to kind of go get his and can Mosley sort of, you know, check his scores instinct a little bit. And it feels like that's what we're negotiating right now. Not like, you know, does the offense fit or is, you know, he a good locker room guy. It just feels like we have two people trying to negotiate, you know, what kind of concessions they're willing to make in order to make the fit, you know, kind of, I think, come a little faster than and or come in a way that we all sort of expected it to. Yeah, it it's definitely going to be like one of those things that we're we're just going to kind of have to consistently track. Uh I mean it's just there's no there's no real clear answer early. Um you know, but I also think like there's a reason why you know Dennis Gates and um who's this DOB? <laughs> um Whoever was putting the schedule together, um, Sharbaugh, Ryan Sharbaugh, I think Sharbaugh's is he the Dobo? Is he the he, is he the assistant to the head coach? There's so many guys, so many slots here. Let yeah, me... there's like 47 staff members now, so which is uh, a good thing. Um, which is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not like three guys. It's like it's it's hard to miss uh, with the previous staff. Um, you know exactly who is doing what. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like. There, I mean, but there's a, Chase Goldstein. a reason. Chase Goldstein is the director, of, is the Dobo for them. Okay, yeah. Um, but the the schedule was crafted this way for a reason. It was it was meant to give Gates and his roster time to like figure things out. Um, it's beneficial that, um, you know, that you you have basically like you know eight or nine games where you're going to be able to do a lot of experimenting and figure out like what you're going to do with maybe your best offensive weapon and Isaiah Mosley and how you're going to kind of get him to work within everything else that you have. Uh, Cause like, that's one of the things that, and maybe this is something that was slightly overlooked as we were kind of getting ready for the season. Mosley at, at Missouri state was an ISO machine. Um, so many of his possessions, you know, came in isolation, one on one, and like that's just not going to be beneficial offense for Missouri. Now, in the Valley with a guy like Mosley, it's going to work a lot of the time, uh, but for it to work at the SEC level, like Mosley's going to have to do it within the structure of the offense because he's got good offensive players around him. Like you can trust Nick Honor, you can trust Kobe Brown, you can trust uh, Noah Carter, um, like you know, Demoy Hodge uh, is phenomenal off the ball. Um, you know, like Trey Millions obviously shown that he can he can make shots. You know, all, if Aiden Shaw is streaking towards the rim and he's anywhere anywhere remotely free, just put it in the vicinity and he can catch it and dunk it. Like like there are a lot of pieces that you can make useful uh and i think this entire process i have to believe anyway that that the entire process here is 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 gates is trying to bring mosley along in a way that's gonna 
make him as effective as he can be by the time we're hitting like conference play. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, you know, I, I look up and down, the, you know, when I look at the minute distribution here, and this is something I've, I've shared, there's been so much tinkering with the lineups. Sometimes you're like, okay, what's the pecking order? And then you, the best thing to do is look at the aggregate picture. And the minutes really make sense. You know, they kind of, I think, conform to what we thought going into the preseason, you know, Mosley being accepted. But, you know, as soon as they took Isaiah Mosley to 14 minutes, Caleb Brown's, you know, allocation took a dip. You know, they've kind of moved in between combo and wing. So if you're going to give him another 14, let's say you split that evenly. That maybe takes seven minutes away from DeAndre Golston. Now Golston's down around 30% of minutes per game, and maybe it's going to take, you know, take down, you know, maybe a little bit from Easton Hodge, depending on how they want to structure lineups. But the thing about it is that's really the only thing that kind of stands out here is, you know, I think if you were to say, well, the impression here was that maybe DR is a little bit lower in the pecking order than we thought which makes sense if the defense isn't quite there, if he's not quite understanding the scheme yet. And if you're trying to bring Mosley along slowly, you got to find a way to, you know, fill in minutes at the wing in the combo spot. So that's naturally Caleb and DeAndre's sort of position. But everything else is sort of really made sense here. You know, it's Kobe, it's Noah, it's Demoy, it's Nick. And, you know, Chameleon's working his way into the mix. Sean East kind of comes in as a secondary ball handler. Like it all, you know, Aiden Shaw is a little bit farther ahead, like I said earlier. So he's kind of at the four now. But if in the preseason, we would have said all those guys are probably going to be in line for top eight or nine. So it, it really, the combinations and sort of the rotations themselves still probably have a way to go. And they're probably still going to do some, you know, tinkering there. But in aggregate, really, I think the kind of minutes distribution has, has kind of broken down the way we expected it to. Well, so one of the things that I think I always kind of like to give you a little trouble about is um, is how you like to say that, you know, this isn't surprising. Um, I, I've ribbed you enough, like, in our, our Slack chat <laughs> uh, when you're, you're not surprised by an outcome. So I want to talk about what does surprise you, Matt. Um, <laughs> and... and like, like, so this obviously, like, three games in, there has been a lot of, like, a lot of play that we've, we've really, realistically expected to see. Like, we, I think there's a lot of things that we're not surprised by. What, what have you, like, what's been the one positive surprise so far in the first three games? Um, you know, I know that you kind of talked about Aiden Shaw, but I'm going to make you pick a different one. Um, I'm trying to think what, here, <laughs> what. <laughs> You try and prepare so much. Uh, I think, you know, you watch Trey Gamillion and, you know, uh, watching six or seven games of Cleveland State and you kind of are limited. So you're, you're always sort of on the sample size, like about, you know, you get a little piece of it and, you know, you think you get a broad sort of approach. But when I was talking to coaches in the spring about him, they just said, that guy's the heart of everything that they do. And it's, they said, you know, when you put on tape, you just see him do all these little things that, you know, lift a team up and and you think, okay, that's, that's hokey and whatever, but you see it live, you know, 
they'll, you know, Isaiah Mosley will throw a pass that's a little bit off, and the first guy over to say, hey, hey, let's move on, next play, that's Trey. If it's the if it's a guy on the floor, first guy over to help him up, it's Trey. First guy to celebrate a lob with any sort of celebra- you know, any sort of exuberance, out of the frame, it's Trey. I think so you just, you like seeing that it's everything you thought was going to be from a cultural perspective. And then I, I thought in the pin game late, you know, it's, he did, you know, the, I always hate the cliche thing, cliche, of, it doesn't show up in the box score, but that guy gets to a 50, 50 ball, keeps it alive. Another teammate gets a rebound. That guy rotates on time to be there, you know, to force a guy to move the pass. You know, it's not even a shot, but pin had been hunting, you know, kind of, these little pick and pops with Jonah Charles and he's there to force Charles to reverse the ball. Or even he just, you know, when he hits the three where he gets fouled on, you know, he, he drifts, he does a great job relocating. He recognizes where his guy is. He sees the passing angle and he relocates to the spot. So I think it's just, it's surprising to see all the little ways that I think he, he keeps, you know, the team in time and he kind of keeps, you know, the energy level where it needs to be. And you can see why, you know, he's an extension of Gates. So it's, it's been surprising to see just how much that sort of has translated and carried over because you feel like sometimes people overplay that angle, but it's at least early on, it, it seems like that there's a genuine sort of truth to that. And, and that's been nice to see. Yeah. I, would, I mean, I feel like I would agree with that and almost to an extension, uh, like I would, I would rope in, uh, Demoy Hodge and I, um, uh, I was critical of Hodge's play in our in our slack conversation at, uh, at the beginning of the game against uh Lindenwood. Um I thought Hodge started off the game and just was not very good. Um which to me was like one of the standout things the first two games is how active he is defensively, how good he is uh sort of getting to the rim. Um I mean he's only <laughs> he's he's attempted 21 three-pointers which is in three games, Matt, that's an average. Uh, this is this is some quick math, so forgive me if I'm incorrect, but that's an average of seven threes a game. Uh, and 28.6% from three-point range ain't great. Uh, so I would like to see Des Moines, uh, like, make more outside shots. Um, I, I don't know that he's a guy that, like, I don't need him to shoot 40%, but I feel like 33%. he yeah, thirty-three to thirty-five percent should be reachable. But I love how like he he just gets out and, and goes and, and attacks the rim. His his cuts are good. Like his timing is so good. His hands are so quick. Uh, he's a really fun player to watch. And as I think part of my frustration of watching him, you know, in the first half against Linwood was uh, he didn't feel like the activity like, level was was what you expected yeah, from him. Yeah, like he he didn't look like the guy that I I watched the two previous games and and I mean I just like I think this sort of extends to the overarching theme I think of our podcast here which uh which is that this is like they're just a fun team to kind of watch and and really if you're if you're nitpicking, you know, Demoy Hodge's energy level in the first half against Lindenwood like like there are uh there are a lot of things going right so far uh this early in the season and and it doesn't like cover up the um the very clear issues that they're going to have defensively and the roster uh holes that we know that they have um you know 
I just I've I've enjoyed watching this team play basketball for three games. I think that's you know this is again I I, I respected you know Consul Martin as as a person and you know how you know, he tried to you know run the program, but how many times would we say the things he talked about all off season that has not manifested itself on the floor at all? Like there, I think that's been my you know to take it back to where we started. My biggest surprise is you know. The, the the pitch for the show is matched what I'm actually seeing on the screen. And I think that that's, that's sort of heartening to see, okay, it wasn't just you sitting in front of a mic saying, we're going to play faster. And then you just gave into your conservatism. And I think there's, you know, fans have, you know, tweeted me going, does Dennis Gates do anything on the sidelines? It's just such a different thing to watch a team that, you know, Conzo would probably have considered playing out of control and, you know, Conzo, you could hear his voice and almost it was almost omnipresent and you don't hear gates at all it's such a stark contrast to hear nothing from gates but just see this pace that you would think Zoe would be going absolutely bonkers at but then to watch you know a former team you know the last couple of years where they really aren't playing all that fast and it just seems like Zoe's constantly coaching 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 and, and encouraging and doing stuff so it's just it's been a different change it's been a surprising change and it's you know part it's something you really can't you know, envision until you see it live and viscerally. So that it's been a surprise to see that, you know, the pitch is matched up in reality. So that, that's sort of another surprise there, at least to me. Well, and that's, that's really like, you know, that, that, that's an extension of uh, really like, that's how John Wooden coached. Um, and that's how like Leonard Hamilton coached. Like Leonard Hamilton has never been like a guy running up and down the sidelines. Um you know, and I don't, I don't necessarily like. There, I don't really think like it's a right way or a wrong way. No, it, um, you know, but I, I am a big believer that, that like, the in-game coaching thing, and really for like, probably more so basketball than, um, you know, than maybe football. That it's it's a little overblown, because I feel like if you're if you're doing your job well as a coach then you should be able to just sit there like John Wooden on in your chair and just watch your team play. Um, Dennis Gates' job is to do what he did the other night, which is draw up a really nice ATO. Like, get the guys around. Here's what we're going to run. You know, we're, this is the base set. Let's go do it. Let's execute it. Like, that's his job. That's what you're paying him for on game day. Well, right. And, and you know, to to his credit, like, I think, I think you know, Martin did that. I think, like, Eric Musselman does a good job of doing that. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of coaches that are that are, you know, that that do that part of it. It's just are you a guy who uh, you know, on on as you're on the bench and and you're watching your team play, are you a a guy who's going to yell at them and make sure that they're remembering everything that you're teaching or are you a guy that's just going to let them play and figure it out? And uh <laughs> I I coach under a guy who is very much the first guy and very, very successful doing it. Um, you know, I, I played for different kinds of guys. And I, so I, I think it's, it's one of those things I so far have been impressed with, uh, with the pre- uh, preparedness, I guess is the right way to say it of, of Dennis Gates and his, his program. They look, they look ready to play. Uh, they move the ball well. They, they run good offense. Um, is there, 
some defensive stuff that maybe they need to clean up. Yeah, but uh, but you know why it's happening. You can yeah, like there there are legitimate roster reasons why. Uh, you know they're they're trying to you know paper over a very you know glaring hole. Um, you know so yeah, I'm I would say like I'm at this point pretty impressed. I want to obviously see how he's able to you know bring along Isaiah Mosley. Um, and obviously like how things look once the competition level, uh, ramps up a bit. Um, but you know, I like, I like, I think this team competes. I think they play hard. Um, and they're going to, he's doing his job and they're going to fill the hole next year. They've, they've went out and they got bigger, longer bodies for next year. So they've, they have addressed that with the signing class last week. Um, I don't know how. Yeah, I was going to start with that, and like as soon as we got into the pot, I'm like, ah, crap, I totally farted on that one. Uh, so good bringing that back up. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, always here to help you when you need it most. <laughs> Seeing as that we're at the end of the podcast. Yes, Missouri uh, in the middle of a week last week. Because we haven't talked about these recruits and <laughs> numerous yeah, times. Like we've, we've talked about them plenty. It's not a matter of uh, us not talking about the, the recruits. Um, but all three guys signed, so no drama, no drama, no drama. Um, I like it. I I've we'll see what they do in spring. They're they're supposedly watching another big, um, Braden Pierce, who's now at IMG Academy, um, three star kid who's kind of I think you know put together a nice fall as coaches got into IMG and saw him. You know, if if he was a guy that you took in spring, he's another seven foot big. You know, if you got another young big, I'd be fine with that. Um, stockpile him. I think he's more of a traditional post with um, alongside uh, Jordan Butler, who, as we've talked about, can kind of space out and play out in space a little bit. That wouldn't be a bad pickup if they if that kid. You know, IMG is going to play a really really tough schedule. They're going to play some of the best prep schools in America. If he looks like he holds up against that competition then I don't think that would be a bad developmental guy to bring in. And then, you know, you maybe have two or three spots if you have to go into the portal, but uh good class. It's going to, right now it's currently top 20. It's 19th in uh two, four, seven. There's composite. still uh there's still possibility that Chris Parker might still be in the conversation, which uh, until he makes the campus, I'm, I'm going to be hesitant to, to believe how deep Missouri is there, but apparently like, what he and CY are just besties. They're still tight, apparently. Uh, and 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 that and that rumor just won't die. It won't die until you know. <laughs> I I won't give it any more credence until he is. There's an official visit announced, and he is coming to campus. But he's until sport. there's a, an official visit, or uh, he's committed to someplace else. Like one or the other has to happen before it's like all right maybe maybe this is uh going somewhere so yeah chris parker and who was the other kid's name braden pierce braden pierce um otherwise we're we're looking at the portal yep but uh i think fans will be happy it's probably going to be one of the best classes in the last decade that they've signed so uh clearly addressing some need uh especially getting some more size onto the roster so those guys will be and possibly here. bringing back like quite a few good players. Like, you know, Gates apparently like wants to bring Kobe back. So if he's open to that, Kobe, you bring Noah, you bring Nick Honor back. 
that's that that's just fine. Those those are good players. It would be nice to have them around. <laughs> the last thing I'll say yeah. is the op- the optimistic thing here is this has not been a great schedule. We've panned it. Um, you know, I don't think there's any way you can, even if you're you know rationalize rational like we are, and you rationalize kind of the the process here that they used to get there. That they have not taken a bad loss here, and then as we saw in week one, there were plenty of teams out there that got picked off in in by games. So. You know, people can say, oh, Missouri did what they needed to do. It, there was some carnage <laughs> last week out there. Um, I don't know what everybody did to make the SWAC mad, but they're after everybody right now. <laughs> they are tired of you sending them to Dayton every year. They are tired of you not even putting them in the main bracket. And by God, they are out for blood and, and revenge right now. Um, it Colorado didn't escape. Texas Southern picked off. <laughs> Arizona State. I think uh, Wichita State lost Alcorn. Well, Alcorn State uh, also gave Ole Miss like a serious fight. Like they were, they were in it until late in the second half. They were in it. So you know what that means? Don't overlook Mississippi Valley State coming here. <laughs> Don't overlook them. Well, well, <laughs> <laughs> let's not get carried away by the team that got beat by twenty nine points uh, by Yale. Um, That's. That is a contrast in cultures right there. <laughs> Itabena, Mississippi, and New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, well, yeah, uh, Grambling's, Grambling's got uh, Cartier Gordon, who is approximately a 24-year-old junior in college. Hey, I'm look, that kid, as you know, probably better you know, than anyone has had his own road. And it is good that he's found a place and he's getting to play basketball. I, uh, you know, yeah, it, absolutely. And it's fantastic, you know, that um, he he's going to get a chance to, you know, at least have the, you know, the opportunity to play at this level and, you know, kind of reboot his career there. And they they picked off Colorado when they came in to North Louisiana, so don't sleep on them. But it's th- there was nothing given last week, and as we saw tonight. FAU. Colorado beat Tennessee. <laughs> that's that's the worst I've ever, I've seen Tennessee look defensively in a while. They they couldn't oh, man. they couldn't guard horns actions or middle ball screens. They couldn't do it. And the best part was the way the camera was set up. You would just see Rick Barnes just absolutely flabbergasted, like arms crossed, and he just like drop him to the side into fists. He was just so so irate. I don't. It was. There was no screaming, but the body language said everything. And it, it's as upset as I've seen Rick in a while. But um, we have SIU Edwardsville uh, tonight. This podcast is dropping on Tuesday. SIU Edwardsville is in town. Um, Mississippi Valley State arrives on Sunday. Uh, and then things kind of start getting into a little bit more of a spaced interval um, with Coastal Carolina and Houston Christian, nay, Houston Baptist coming next week um so yeah that coastal carolina game is looking like it might be sneaky they're at 178 in kimpom but other than that the sub 50 they have not played anybody yet (sighs) well they've played saint mary's of maryland and methodist of somewhere it's not a directional methodist school just just methodist just, just methodist 
Uh, uh, I've just got the Kimpom profile. Yeah, and up. then they step up to they you. beat they beat Methodist one ten to forty seven. So I can't imagine uh, Methodist deserves a directional uh, school there. US USC Upstate, <laughs> jeez. Oh, they don't even have. Oh, this is. I thought I thought Missouri was soft. This is this is this is something else. And there's Regent, Regent University, three non Kimpom programs on Coastal Carolina. All right, we've we we've delayed this outro long enough, but uh, yeah, it's 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 time to get out of here. Uh, because now that the season is here, Matt, we are gonna have to. We have to do this um, on a more regular basis. Um, so with that all being said, uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. Um, make sure that you are subscribed to our podcast feed. You can subscribe through Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, uh, also through Spotify. We are on Spotify. If you're subscribed, you can uh, get the latest episodes before the box score and hear Nate and BK talk all about Missouri football uh, and Eli Drinkwitz contact contract extensions which is apparently no one's talking about conversation it. here <laughs> no one's talking about, uh might as well talk about that and not uh blowouts at tennessee but you will uh probably also you get um, all of it enjoy with re- reading all the content we have going on rockamnation.com matt i'm really uh pretty happy with our coverage right now we've got people covering uh women's basketball we've got wrestling ramping up um football is is in its last few weeks here uh, men's basketball, um, you and, and Watkins are, are, are doing good stuff. Film room is, is, uh, is going to hit an ADR here soon, I think. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Make sure you follow Matt on Twitter at Matt J Harris 85. Also, uh, give that Matt Watkins do to follow at data Mizzou. Um, he and, and Harris here are much more frequent tweeters than I am, but, Twitter's uh, still alive. Sam T. Snelling. Uh, despite Elon's best efforts, Twitter is still hanging hanging by a thread. Um, yeah. uh, we do have a backup ready to go. And uh, if if it's needed, uh, we'll, we'll be ready. But uh, um, everybody, yeah, be, be on the lookout for maybe a, a link to a Discord channel should, uh, should things start really going sideways at Twitter.com. Uh, yeah, that's it. We'll be back next week with another pod. We'll talk more Mizzou hoops. Uh, until then, thanks everybody for tuning in. Yeah.